You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. Uh, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Um, I want to ask a question. Um, How do you... Uh, grow in your maturity as a follower of Christ? I mean, that's the the million-dollar question I think every Christian would really like to have answered, Uh, because maturity is not guaranteed. Uh, It's not automatic. Uh, It's not like becoming physically old, which just happens, Um, You don't have to do anything about that. Uh, One day you just wake up and there's no longer hair where there used to be or there are wrinkles where there didn't used to be. Um, That just happens automatically. Uh, But spiritual aging uh, is not the same. You know, we all have seen Christians who we know they have been believers for decades, but yet they still have the spiritual maturity of a toddler. You know, if they don't get what they want, they throw a fit. Uh, To get them to understand anything about what the Bible says, you still have to spoon feed it to them or put it in a bottle. You know, they they should be enjoying a a diet of spiritual steak, yet because of their immaturity, uh, they're still only able to stomach milk. So so how do we avoid this problem in our church? How do we keep ourselves from having a congregation that's geriatric in age, but still juvenile in our understanding of God's word? Well, Jesus gives you the answer right here at the very beginning in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Uh, and, And it's a simple answer. He's even able to articulate it in a single sentence. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So so in other words, the, the key to having a deeper devotion to Jesus is denying yourself. The key to deeper devotion is denying yourself. If you want to be a more mature believer, then you need more Jesus and less you. And I'd love just to be able to stop the sermon right here and just say, let's just go home. You know, Jesus tells you what to do in the first verse, so let's just do it. 
But the reality is, is that that some of us have probably read this verse a dozen times, and yet our lives don't look any different as a result. So we either must be misunderstanding this passage, or maybe worse, we are understanding it, but we're just ignoring it. So I want to walk through these verses And I have three questions for your consideration to help us better understand Jesus's demand here for self-denial. Question number one is, what does denying yourself even mean? Question number two is, what are the alternatives to doing this? And then lastly, why don't we just do what Jesus has commanded? I mean, if the command is so simple, why, why don't we just do it? So first question, what does denying yourself actually mean? This is answered for you right there in verse 34, just like I read. You know, Jesus says, uh, anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So I want to look at first the the meaning of that word to deny and then the manner in which Jesus is calling his followers to deny themselves. So first, the meaning Uh, in, in Greek, that word means to disown or to completely disassociate yourself from something. It's a very strong word. And probably the most prominent example of its usage in the New Testament is Peter's denial of Christ during the night of his trial. That word is used when Peter denies Jesus three different times before the cock crowed in order to completely disassociate himself from having anything to do with Jesus. So Peter will eventually do the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying it takes to be his follower. In order to save his own skin, Peter will deny Jesus. Uh, but, But it won't always be that way, because eventually Peter will come to understand what it means for him to deny himself and take up his cross. Uh, Church tradition tells us that Peter himself was later crucified on a cross because of his devotion to Jesus. Uh, And that same tradition tells us that Peter even requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't see himself as being worthy of dying in the same manner as his master. And this, this is what it means to deny yourself. It means to disown or completely disassociate yourself from your previous way of life. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll have to die for your faith like Peter. It doesn't mean you'll forget your past failures or that you won't ever talk about them. But it does mean that who you were no longer has any say or control over who you've become in Christ. So that's the the meaning of the word. Let's look at the manner in which Jesus calls you to deny yourself. 
Let me just make a couple of observations here on verse 34. Uh, You you may not be particularly excited to hear about either of these, uh, but both of these are completely necessary uh, if you want a deeper devotion to Christ. Uh, The process of Christian sanctification and maturity is both a difficult process and a very slow process. Jesus compares it to walking with a cross, which is ironic considering in the previous passage that we just studied last week, Peter couldn't even comprehend that Jesus will one day have to bear a cross, much less that he and everyone else who's going to follow Jesus are going to have to do likewise. But you don't have to look any further than Jesus' own crucifixion to know it was a very difficult, painful ordeal. I mean, Jesus was in so much pain from his initial beating that he couldn't even bear his own cross all the way to the crucifixion site. They had to get a man named Simon to come in and help him out. That's how much pain he was in. Uh, And if you read the text that we're studying today in Luke's account of the gospel, he actually makes it clear that this process is even more difficult than you might first have thought. Uh, Because not only is denying yourself a painful process, it's also a painful process that you must endure daily. Uh, In Luke's account, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, why does Jesus say that? I mean, you you read uh, the letters of Paul later on in the New Testament. It can almost sound like denying yourself is just a singular one-time event. It's a painful process. It's a painful ordeal, but it's just a a singular one-time event. I mean, you can look at at verses like Galatians 2.20, for example, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So so in that verse, it, it can sound like You know, once you deny yourself in order to follow Jesus, uh, once you've disowned who you were before Christ, that old you is dead. It has been nailed to the cross with Jesus, and it's no longer you that are living, but rather it's Christ that is living within you. But if the old you is dead and has been crucified with Christ, then why in the world is Jesus here saying you must deny yourself and pick up your cross daily? Well, it's not as though you're actually losing your salvation and therefore you're in need of constantly going back to the cross to ask for forgiveness all over again. Paul is right that once you become a believer, that old you is dead and that old you is gone So the problem is not the need to die to yourself over and over again. The problem is remembering that your old self is dead. That's what actually makes the process of Christian maturity so painful and difficult. It's having to look yourself in the mirror daily 
and remind yourself that the old you is no more. So you can't just drive into work with that same old attitude. That part of you is gone. And you must remember that because it's Christ that now lives in you, your attitude must reflect that. So you can't let pride dictate your actions anymore. That's the old you. That's what was crucified on the cross with Jesus. So you have to daily deny yourself and remember that because it's Christ that now lives within you, you must now live in a way that reflects Christ's humility. And that can be a difficult process. But it's not only a difficult process, it's also a slow process. Think about the imagery of Jesus bearing his cross to Calvary. I don't get the impression that Jesus just had the cross just slung over his shoulder and was sprinting towards his crucifixion, trying to pick up and carry such a heavy load is going to naturally be a slow and laborious process. It's not something that can be done quickly. It's something that you just have to do one step at a time. Uh, The closest example that I can give is to say that it's kind of like watching a tree grow. Uh, Maybe in the early stages of your faith, growth growth is, is easy enough to discern, Because before, I mean, there was just nothing. There was just barren soil. And then now all of a sudden there's a tree that has grown up from the ground. But after those early stages, you, you can't typically go outside from one day to the next and marvel just how much that tree has changed overnight. That growth isn't always immediately discernible. It's not until you've watched that tree endure through the different seasons, maybe even over the course of many years, that you finally begin to notice a difference. And it's often not even until after the tree is gone that you can really see just how much it has changed over the years by looking inside at the different rings. It's in hindsight that you can discern that there were some prolonged seasons of, of dry spells in its life when those rings were so close together and there wasn't much growth. But then there were other seasons where those rings are spread out really far from one another. And you, you must have known that in those seasons, that tree got ample sunlight and rain. And likewise, you're simply not just going to be able to wake up every morning and see a discernible difference in your maturity from the day before. There's probably not going to be a lot of discernible difference in your marriage and your relationships just compared to yesterday. So don't get discouraged if sometimes you feel like in the moment, like you're, you're not making much progress in your faith. But as you deny yourself daily and you pick up your cross and you follow after Jesus, there should be periodic times where you are able to look back 
in hindsight through the years and see those different rings that signify growth. You, you should be able to look back and point out different seasons in your life where it is evident that God grew and stretched your faith, nourishing you through his spirit and his word. So, so that's the, the first question. We've seen what denying yourself actually means. Uh, let me move on to the second question. What are the alternatives to denying yourself? I mean, if it's such a difficult and slow process, is there any way around it? Are there any shortcuts? Well, look to verses 35 uh, to 37 and see what Jesus says. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it, for, or loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? So technically, uh, the answer is yes. There are a lot of alternative ways to live your life. It's just that Jesus says that all of those ways will cause you to forfeit your soul, which in the grand scheme of things is a pretty big negative side effect compared to the benefits of living those alternative lifestyles. So if you care anything about your eternal destiny, then the answer has to be no. There are no shortcuts to salvation or sanctification. In order to save your eternal life, you have to be willing to lose your temporal earthly life. If you want to be with Jesus in heaven then you must be uh, willing to pick up in your cross and follow him daily while you're here on earth. Uh, while you could live any number of comfortable lifestyles where you would have to deny yourself nothing, it wouldn't do you any good if you were able to gain the whole world, but at the cost of selling your soul, which is what matters most. Um, I want to tell you a, a story that's related to this. Um, I don't often listen to a lot of Johnny Cash music. Um, maybe some of you do, um, but there's a, a, par a very powerful song uh, that Johnny Cash did a cover of right before he died uh, in 2003. Um, the song was actually written by a, another popular rock band named uh, Nine Inch Nails, which is also a band that I don't really listen to. Um, but their uh, original song uh, was actually about struggling with uh, drug addiction, which was an issue uh, that Johnny Cash could relate to. So as he knew that his health was failing because of how he had treated his body over the years, uh, he asked that band if he could do a cover of their song. And he filmed a music video for that song at the House of Cash, which had been his former home in Tennessee. 
that had since then been turned into a museum dedicated to his life. But that museum uh, had actually been shut down to the public years before and had been left in this terrible state of disrepair. And so the whole music video is just this very frail looking Johnny Cash, uh, who would actually go on to die just a few months after filming this video. And he's just walking around his old house, looking at all of the stuff that he had collected over the course of his career, at the records that he had recorded that are literally just laying on the ground broken. And the most memorable scene in this video is a scene that, that shows this shot of Johnny Cash. He's sitting down at his dining room table and he has this glass of wine. And he just turns the glass upside down and he just dumps the contents all over the table as he sings the lines, you can have it all, my empire of dirt. And you can just see the look in Johnny Cash's eyes after having this legendary music career that any other artist would kill for after really having gained the whole world. I mean, he had everything money could buy. He had all of the fame and fortune that could ever be hoped to be found. And he sits there at his dining room table and he just says, it's not worth it. He, he doesn't even want it anymore. He says, you can have it all. It is nothing more than just an empire of dirt. And it, it took him over 70 years to come to that conclusion. And even then, only after he had pursued every other way of life there was. If you know anything about his life, he chased after women and alcohol and, and drugs. But he finally came to understand that there is no profit in gaining the world if it means your soul is going to perish in the process. So after walking around his empire of dirt, as he called it, and after dumping wine all over his material wealth, which was now meaningless to him, he asked the producers to insert a clip into the video depicting Christ's crucifixion. So he could show the audience of his very last music video that he would ever do that Christ's spilled blood trumps anything that this world could ever offer. So submitting yourself to Christ and denying yourself daily for his sake, uh, it's a slow and even painful way of life. But even more painful is spending your entire life chasing after those alternatives only to realize at the end of your life that you have wasted the entirety of that life. And that everything you sought to accomplish was meaningless in the end. Johnny Cash wanted to plead with his audience to learn that lesson at a much younger age than he did. And if we listen to these words from the Gospel of Mark, we can. So we've looked at the first two questions. What does denying yourself mean? And what are the alternatives uh, but there's one last question that still needs to be addressed. 
If any shortcut to salvation or sanctification will cost you your soul, then why don't we just do what Jesus commanded? If it really is our only viable option, then why don't we always choose it? Well, look with me to the last verse in our passage, verse 38. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. According to Jesus, shame is one of the primary obstacles keeping you from carrying your cross and following after him. And it's those who will be ashamed of him that he too will be ashamed of when he comes back in glory at the end of the age. Now, now typically, we often want to associate honor and shame with more Eastern Asian cultures. Shame's not something we often talk about in Western countries like the United States. Um, We often um, don't necessarily ask the question if something that somebody did is shameful. More often than not, we want to ask the question, are they guilty? I mean, you can just think about all of the hundreds of detective shows that are on TV, like Law and Order. Um, And we always want to watch those shows to find out whether or not the person committed the crime. You know, they either violated the law or they didn't. But asking if something is shameful goes beyond just someone's behavior. Uh, Shame also addresses the motivations behind that behavior. Because, I mean, we all know people who technically are found not to be guilty of a crime, maybe because of some sort of technical loophole, but yet we know that what they did was still wrong. It was shady. It was shameful. And Jesus is telling you that you can live in such a way where technically you have confessed to follow Christ, but in reality, you're still ashamed of him. You don't really want to be associated with him. Maybe you've technically confessed to others about your own sin, but you really don't feel any shame or remorse for that sin. And Jesus says that it's those who he will be ashamed of when he returns. So if you feel like your faith is anemic and you desire a deeper devotion to Christ, you have to ask yourself deeper questions than just have you confessed Jesus as Lord or have you confessed to others about your sin? Ask yourself instead if you're ashamed of that sin. Ask yourself if you lament over your previous way of life and if that remorse has brought any legitimate change to that life. Because confession without change isn't real repentance. It's really actually just boasting in your sin. 
Someone who confesses their sin to others, if they speak in great detail about the things that they've done, uh, but they don't actually change or stop doing those things, and they're not actually ashamed of their sin, uh, then, then they're really just bragging about what they've done. There's no real remorse that has led to change. So if you want to gauge how deep your devotion is to Jesus, you'll have to ask yourself a deeper question than do you confess to be his follower. Ask yourself whether or not you bring shame or honor to his name. Uh, You you can wear Christian t-shirts that technically identify you as one of his disciples, but still be reluctant to be associated with his cause. You can share more Christian quotes and Bible verses on your Facebook than anyone else around you and still be ashamed of Jesus through the way you live your life. And at the end of the day, everyone in this world is going to be ashamed of something. You will either be ashamed of your own sin and you will seek to repent to Christ because of that sin, or you will be ashamed of Jesus. And if you really want to know how to better overcome that obstacle of feeling shame and not wanting to associate yourself with the cause of Christ, then let me suggest to you that a good way to begin is by thinking about the shame that Jesus first experienced on your behalf. The humiliation that he endured because of his love for you. I mean, the Messiah came to the earth knowing full well that he would be mocked by man, but also knowing that that was the only way that this broken world might ever be mended and put back together again. Just think of the scorn that Jesus experienced at the cross so your relationship with God the Father might be reconciled and you might be redeemed. Because the more shame you realize that Jesus endured for you, the less you'll feel ashamed to be associated with him. So we've seen that spiritual maturity It's not guaranteed. We can become geriatric in age and still juvenile in our understanding of the Bible's truths. Um, So my prayer for you all today is that that that, that could not be said um, and would not be said about those who are gathered in this room. And I pray that we would begin that process, if we haven't already, of self-denial. I pray that we would all begin to think less about ourselves and more about Jesus. That we would begin to pick up our crosses and deny ourselves, not just once, but daily. Because it's only then will we ever experience a deeper devotion to Christ. Let me pray. Father, may we just remember the truths of this text throughout this week. May we just begin to have more of you and less of ourselves in our lives. 
May we never forget the shame that you endured on our behalf. We love you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.